0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek, and Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars, but what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July, They Shouldn't Have Killed This Dog, The Complete Uncensored, Ass-Kicking Oral History of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the New Age of Action, coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. for the 4:30 Movie. The 4:30 Movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts, and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app.
4: Since Mark was a boy, and since Robert was a boy, they've worshipped one
5: man—the
6: Lawrence Olivier of the airways. What are you doing here?
4: I'm one of the top ten imaginary friends kids have, just behind John Travolta, Reggie Jackson, and Farrah Fawcett majors. But oh my God, they're about to discover. Don't make a big scene.
3: Mr. Shatner, I would like to say that I think you are the greatest American actor ever.
4: I'm a Canadian. That their lifelong hero... I've got an idea. ...is definitely not of this world. It's a musical version of Julius Caesar. I want to do the complete text. Well, I'll, I'll play Julius Caesar and all the other parts, too.
3: The man I idolized since I was two turns out to be a raving loon.
4: Ouch. And now... My lady friend. She left me. How can that be? I don't know. I mean, you're... You. He's going to lead them How cool is that? on a voyage Oh, my. to find love Guys, you gotta mix a little reality in with your imagination. That's way stranger than science fiction. I'm not the one with the green girl sex fantasy. Oh, my.
3: Did you see the way that she was peeping you? I don't believe it. I just met the most fantastic female.
4: Claire, you should be happy for
3: When Spock got infected by the spores and fell in love with Lila
1: Colomi, he was happy too. But Kirk fought him, made him resist. Yeah, whatever.
4: Who do you see starring in it? Rafer Weigel, Eric McCormick, Audie Englin, Patrick Van Horn, Phil Lamar, and William Shatner.
3: And that Dr. Spock guy with those pointy ears.
4: As Bill. You can call me Mr. Shatner now. Show tears for season. Lie, Evil that men do lives Woo! after them. The good is often turred with their bones. No one will ever believe this. Free enterprise.
5: Love long yeah. and party. Dance with the captain. Oh, yeah.
0: Hey, this is Mark K. Altman.
2: And this is Darren Doctorman. And
0: we are the inglorious experts. and today we're going to prove our bona fides, our bona fides, if you will. We have a very special guest talking about a very special day. You know, it's the anniversary of June 4th. June 4th, as you know, it's the anniversary of some In very special. Comes movies. every year. Comes every year, and every year it's one year more since the release of Poltergeist. It's, it's one year more. We're talking Olympics, Diane. <laughs> it's before, one more after, year before, since the release. After. One more year since the release of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, which I see Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. That's right. Because it was not Star Trek II at the time, it was That's Star right. Trek The Wrath of Khan. But for the three of us, there's an even more significant anniversary celebrating its 23rd anniversary. Holy mackerel! Holy mackerel. Is the anniversary of the release of the motion picture event of the season, Free Enterprise. And we have none other than the director, co writer, and editor of that film with us, America's sweetheart, Robert Meyer Burnett.
6: Well, gentlemen, it's always a pleasure to be invited back on the. Uh, I feel we're all inglorious in our own ways. And uh, it's great to be here for this uh, esteemed anniversary.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, remember, Rob, it was so crazy. It was so crazy because when we sold the film, when we sold, we sold the film, we, we actually had, had just um, got a bunch of awards. We've been at a bunch of film festivals all around the world. We'd been in Cannes with Bill Shatner. But the, the place we sold the film was at the Winnipeg Film Festival. It just proves no festival is too small. In the dead of winter. In the dead of winter, we're up in Winnipeg. And guy from this new theatrical release uh, company um, uh, uh, called uh, Regent Pictures at the time saw the movie, flipped over it, wanted to release it, wanted to release it right away, yep. and um, and they said we're gonna we want we we think a good day to release is June 4th, a week after the Phantom Menace opens, and uh, Rob and I were ecstatic. They couldn't understand why we were so happy. I'm like, don't you know? Don't you understand? June 4th is the anniversary of Star Trek 2 and Poltergeist.
6: It's a good <laughs> old we thought at the time. Where we're in our own movie, they go and see Star Trek Two. It was crazy, full circle. It's so it's true because of course
0: they go to see. Yes, they go to see. You know, and it's so funny, Rob. I have to tell you, is the character of Mark in Free Enterprise is celebrating his birthday by taking his going with his friends to see Star Trek Two. And it's his birthday movie, he says. And uh, when Darren and I were recently hosting uh, the Q&A at the American Cinematheque for Star Trek 2, some guy came up to me very tentatively, very sweet, and said, I just want you to know, today is my birthday. And I had to come see it because it's my birthday movie. (laughs) (laughs) And that that meant so much to me. I I love that. I love that.
6: Well, I, are people who are listening to this podcast now? Do they even know what we're talking about? Well, that's the thing. We don't know.
0: Some do, some don't. Because, of course, the movie's twenty three years old. Yeah, that's, that's that's a
6: lot in dog years. It's a it's lot. Been,
2: it's been drinking for two years. For crying out
6: loud. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of funny because I don't. You know, you don't walk around and recite your resume to people. And I found that ten years ago years ago people always came up to me to talk about free enterprise no one does anymore right because it's unavailable yeah you know it's out of print it's not streaming it's very hard to get unless people look it up
0: yeah let's Uh, answer that question because i'm sure that's on everybody's mind. the here's the thing i have people you know people associate the movie with rob and i there's the characters are named go figure rob and mark and and obviously we're the filmmakers we do not own the movie. We have no control over the movie. Right. If we did, the movie would be out in 4K. We've been approached by more companies than I can tell you who want to remaster of the film, want to release it. You know, it's not up to us. The people who own the movie, it's up to them. So we we're, we're powerless to uh, to do anything yep. with it. So obviously, we're as hopeful and optimistic as you are that this movie will come out one day. Uh, in 4k and streaming and that you all get to rediscover the magic
6: yeah i mean i i absolutely am interested in i, I haven't touched the movie since 2005 when i did the five-year mission edition of it Frank <laughs> you or know, that Bay, was yeah. that which came out in 2006 when it finally came out you know that was 16 years ago and um you know i haven't looked at it you know i've looked at it but i haven't you know touched it since then but what's what's the creator of, what's really interesting Mark is, is that I think, you know, we made a movie that was about fandom a particular time of fandom before and that fandom
2: actually blossomed.
6: Yeah. Uh, yes. And that's what exactly what I was going to say. The world of fandom has completely changed. Mm-hmm. And, and it it's almost like, like we, what was very funny was you kind of were the ringmaster of a group of, of professional fans that came to LA filmmakers, writers, uh, uh, people that worked in the film business. And, and we all sort of ended up rallying around a magazine that you had created that Larry Flint published, which was sci-fi universe. And I, I created friendships there. I met people there, people like Jeff Bond, you know, yeah, whose free books issues I are barely my,
0: legal. I remember.
6: Yeah. Very. And, and it was, but what was so interesting was that was that there was not a lot of us, you know, there was not a lot of us that heard like the clarion call of the aliens to tell us to go to devil's tower. And we all kind of had met each other. And, and so we made this movie that was a reflection of our friends. And, you know, you would coin the phrase that the, for sci-fi universe, it was for sci-fi fans with a life, Yeah. you know, playing off of that whole idea of Shatner's uh, Saturday night live speech, which, which when we all met, wasn't even 10 years old then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, Oh, the the oh, idea,
0: I was gonna say the idea of this Algonquin geek table, that it was people that were very presumably smart, who were interested in the subject matter. And, you know, we had a very deep bench of of, of, of passionate uh, fans, you know, Gabrielle, you know, Stanton, who ended up obviously running um uh, uh, the Flash, and he's gone on to much success in television. Kay Rindell, who's been on this show and gone on to much success in in in, in, in television. Uh, you, me, Darren, uh, Dan Weber, who was a, a showrunner on Futurama and and on many shows, and um, you, I, I could name ten other people that were involved mm. in this little Algonquin detail, probably twenty. Um, and 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 who 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 have all, to one extent or the other, become you know very well known and geek geek geek. Uh, Ashley didn't come along till later, obviously, um, because of your association. You discovered it much later through your friendship with Zach. But the thing is, um, well, that- Zach, I met
6: Zach, Zach Stentz, you know, who wrote Thor and X Men: First Class with Ashley, because he was a fan of free enterprise, right, right? And he was a writer for Entertainment Weekly, and he he sought me out, yeah. And he wrote about the movie for a couple of different outlets. But here, here's the thing,
0: Darren, tell us what is this movie about this free enterprise people have heard us mention on the show as Robert mentioned, it's very hard to find uh, uh, if so, people aren't familiar.
2: What is free enterprise? Free enterprise <laughs> is the story of um, fan professionals who are just on the, on the beginning of their professional lives. And they're trying to make it. And they're trying to deal with the fact that their lives are screwed up. Do to no small part, the fact that they are devoted to various science fiction and fantasy uh, IPs, let's say. I don't suppose it would mean anything to you to know that I have the Japanese import box set of
3: all five Planet of the Apes on laser disc, letterboxed.
2: What about your home theater system?
3: Dolby Digital Five Tracks Surround with a 40 inch screen.
2: Not bad, Subwoofer?
3: no i uh, I live upstairs in a duplex you know neighbors
2: huh. I see I have a amigo Isis action figure um, and their though their devotion to these things and their fandom is an energy that they can uh, get power from, um, they have not yet learned to control it <laughs> much like the force uh, and both of them Rob and mark strangely named um they uh seek out their childhood imaginary friend William Shatner and uh and they through a a strange twist of fate they meet him and discover that it's not necessarily uh enjoyable or preferable to meet your heroes because they may not be what you expect I don't believe it it's Bill
1: Okay, just be cool. Don't stare.
3: He'll go blind. And he's perusing porno. All right! I gotta go over there and talk to him, man. What do what you... No!
1: All around the world, from as far off as the Caspian Sea, people have been running up to Bill and acting like idiots.
3: Why must you be one of them? Because now it's my turn. I mean, don't you want to go over there and talk to him and see what he's like? I mean, William Shatner made us who we are today. But do, do you want to insult the man? Just respect his space. I do respect his space. It's the final frontier. Oh, just, just be dignified. You know, don't do anything stupid. All right. Calm,
1: cool, and collected. Don't make a big scene.
3: Oh, good. I've been looking for Mein Kampf. Uh, sir, I just, uh, Mr. Shatner, I would like to say that I think you are the greatest American actor ever. I'm a Canadian. Well, then, may I just say that you are the greatest Canadian actor ever. <laughs> there aren't that many of them. Well, if I may, sir, just say that I have a tremendous amount of respect for your work as a writer, a director, a thespian, and an entrepreneur. Listen, um, I, 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 we don't want an autograph or anything like that. I, I was just wondering, um, what brings you here?
4: I'm trying to find something to read. You, you, you buy books? Otherwise, it'd be shoplifting.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm sorry. We 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 don't want. We're we're not. We we were just wondering if we could maybe we could buy you a drink or something. I mean, we're really we're not the usual kooky fans.
5: No.
0: Right. Yeah, I've always said it's about two uh, dysfunctional guys who meet their childhood idol and find out he's more screwed up than they are. I mean, that in a nutshell is what it is. Of course, the childhood idol we're talking about is none other than Bill Shatner.
5: What are you doing here?
4: I think I ought to tell you that that uh, Aryan youth is going to kick you into oblivion.
5: But what about in an arena when Kirk fought the Gorn? That giant lizard monster was three times as big as him.
4: My boy, that was a TV show. I used a stunt double. I always use a stunt double, except in love scenes. I insist on doing those myself.
0: Now, before we talk about how did we get Bill Shatner in our movie, which is... You know, the, 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 the incredible story in itself. I have to say, you have to understand how we all came to meet initially. Now, Rob, of course, was working for Charlie Bands. At Full Moon. Full Moon doing really you know, low budget B movies. And Rob would elevate them through his editing <laughs> to make them better than they had any right to be. Uh, I, of course, as Rob alluded to, was running a magazine called Sci-Fi Universe for Larry Flint and uh, that, you, Darren, that you created. That I created, right? And Darren was um, doing a show called Talk Trek. Um, well, the convention on
2: the air. I had also been working in the industry for, you know, of course, but that you worked on the Abyss and you worked anymore.
6: on Exorcist Three and you'd worked yes, on, you worked on it. You had a long list of credits. As
2: a lark, I, I yes. worked on this on this actual radio show called Talk Trek. And as a and, mark, uh, I was. That's right. Um, And as a mark, you came on at one time. Yeah, Um, I didn't. It was was this uh, strange, it was much like a podcast before podcasts ever existed. Um, And uh, we talked about Star Trek every week on a local Los Angeles radio uh, channel. And uh, then later on nationwide on what was called the cable radio network, which played behind the the, uh, channel listings uh, on your cable stations. But um, through that, I met Mark, and Mark brought along this uh, friend of his called Rob Burnett, and that's how we met on the show. That's how we yeah. met,
0: and and of course the way I met Rob was full um, Full Moon was going to do a big screening at Comic Con of a movie called um,
6: Oblivion. Oblivion with George Takei. Oh, Cowboys and Aliens. And so
0: they had contacted me to see if we would co sponsor this screening with them. And they, they, they had robbed running points. So anyway, long story short, everything that possibly could go wrong did go wrong, but we persevered. And Rob well, and I, No,
6: Now, no, hang on a second. I have to say that I had already been a huge fan of yours because you had written the definitive um, retrospectives every season on "Star Trek: The Next Generation." And uh, for Cine Fantastic magazine, there were like 100 pages every episode, but you also wrote these incredibly in-depth profile pieces and delved into the production. And not only did I learn a lot about, I mean, if you wanted to know about how Star Trek was being made, your articles and accounts of each season were definitive. There was nowhere else to go to get that kind of material and that kind of understanding and insight into how the show was produced. So I was a huge fan of yours. Um, because your articles were so insightful in terms of how does not just Star Trek, but how is a modern television show produced? And then at the same time, you also reviewed the show and you, you, you were, you were, you wrote fair reviews. If you didn't like something, you, you didn't just look up to, you were writing, um, these definitive articles and they let you in to the production, gave you all this access. And I thought that those articles that you were writing were actually very important, not just. For Star Trek fans, but for anybody that was interested in how a television show was produced at that time.
0: Okay, so since Rob chose to share this part of the story, I will share the rest of the story. So the publicist at Full Moon says, "So there's this guy over here at Full Moon who's a huge fan of yours. So would you talk to him?" And I'm like, "No, (laughs) I don't want to talk to somebody who's a huge fan of mine." (laughs) And they said, "No, he's okay." He's a good guy. He's smart. He's not like a, your usual cookie fan. And I'm like, fine. But like, I, you know, I'm, I had to find a way to get off the phone call quick if he's a lunatic. So uh, anyway, Ron, I totally hit it off. And then we did the, We did the event. And uh, as I said, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. The buses didn't show up to pick the people up. And uh, Peter David was reading excerpts from who'd written the script to Oblivion, was reading excerpts from his books to the six people that were there. And uh, it was the whole thing was a mess. But we all went drinking, had a good time. So um, anyway, so Rob and I became friends. Our, our, you know, we, we started going out with a bunch of our friends. And we had these little routines where we would go out laser to shopping and we'd go out to, you know, Tower Records or or Virgin Megastore at midnight when things would go on sale for the week. This is before Amazon. So at midnight, they could put the titles for the week out um, that would go on sale on Tuesday. Because And then we started playing
6: beach volleyball every Saturday for like eight years. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly.
0: And well, again, that's the beauty of it. So um, the... um, so, so we had this little routine and, you know, some of these laser sales would happen once or twice a year. and We drive out and we get online at like four in the morning, um, you know, waiting for it to open because we didn't want to miss the good discs. And uh, it was insane, you know, and like before Phantom Menace, we would all line up at Toys R Us for, you know, hours could seem like days and, um, you know, buy all these 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 toys and, and things like that. So at, at one point, our good friend Kay Reindell said, you know, this is so bizarre, this whole lifestyle, it's so bizarre, you guys should but make a movie out of it. Before that. But,
6: yeah, well, I was gonna say, what was bizarre, we were all trying to work our way up in the entertainment business. And, and we we're working at sort of, in my case, at a very low budget level. And you, Mark, you had your own publishing empire, but you wanted to get into into uh, movie making as well. And, you know, all of us were we were all aspirational. We were all like scrappily working our way into the entertainment business at the same time that we were doing these fan pursuits.
0: Yes, that's true. Just beginning the adventure. Exactly. The new adventure was just beginning. Perfect. So, um, so uh, you know, she, she had mentioned it in passing. And of course, uh, you know, everyone thinks their office or their thing, everything is the most interesting thing. This would be a great TV show. It never is. Never is. And, uh, but for whatever reason, I, the, the muse struck me that night when I was, I guess I was bored. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, and we just seen swingers recently too, which was obviously yeah. influenced, but, um, which was really our life in LA at the time. It was like almost like a documentary
6: about our life. Well, To the point of, you know, I've been working with Peter Billingsley who was good yeah. friends with Favreau and, and Vince Vaughn. So before well, while they started to make swingers, I knew all those guys. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd been hanging out with them and going to Los Feliz to the Derby or to the yeah. 101 coffee yeah. shop and or whatever. Thing, it was, yeah. Which yeah, was yeah. it was so weird. Yeah. So, so
0: um I started noodling around with this thing, which at the time was called Trekkers, and it was basically play it again, Sam, which the Woody Allen movie, Herbert Ross movie where Woody Allen play, where um Woody Allen conjures up humphrey bogart to give him advice about wine women and song and in the case of uh, rob and i uh, rob and mark in this movie uh it was bill shatner who had all the advice guys
4: you gotta mix a little reality in with your imagination to achieve happiness in your life and you've got to overcome your programming which in your case is a 30 year old television show i mean come on Let me tell you, let me me tell you a story. I was jogging one evening around my neighborhood and I came across a a house on fire and the crowd had gathered and the the fire engines hadn't come yet and uh, the crowd all turned to me and said, look, there's Captain Kirk and this guy came running over, uh, turned out to be the father. And he said, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk, my my child's in the burning building, please, you you gotta save my kid, please go. So what was I gonna do, argue with it? I was Captain Kirk. So I found myself running into the burning building. Now I'm looking for the kid, and it's the fire and the smoke and the and the heat. And I, so I got down on my hands and knees because I would seen Rescue 911, and I was crawling around in the, in the in the dark. And the smoke is in my lungs. I'm coughing. I can't see it, and I'm calling Kid. Where are you, Kid? No Kid. Kid's not answering. I'm calling Kid. Kid, Kid, no Kid. And I'm dying. I mean, the flames are burning me up so i gotta get out of there so i'm coughing and hacking the masonry's falling all around me and i back out and i get outside and there i see the kid playing on the lawn the kid had jumped out of the window father had caught him he's playing on the grass the father's fine he's playing on the grass the crowd is playing on the grass the crowd all turn around looking at this captain Kirk. they're all laughing at him. i felt like such an idiot then i realized I'm not Captain Kirk. I'm not a hero. I didn't have the kid. I felt absolutely
0: ridiculous. But I had to try. So um, (laughs) Rob and I got very excited about this script of ours. And um, we we, we put together something that we thought was very funny. You know, and it's like, but, you know, other than, uh, you know, we had a bunch of paper, but how is it going to become celluloid? So um, fortunately, Rob at the time was editing a picture for a producer who slipped in the script. They got excited about it through various machinations. We were introduced to another group of financiers who um, decided they would come up with the money. And it was funny because the man who ultimately did finance the picture, one of the big reasons was because his brother used to make fun of him as a kid for liking Star Trek. And he was very successful in other fields. But he was like, ultimately still had this chip on his shoulder about how his brother tormented him over his love starter. So he ended up financing the movie. So now we were a go picture. But the problem being, we didn't have the one thing the movie hinged on,
6: which was William Shatner. We were naive enough to think that he would just do it because <laughs> we wrote this script that was all about our love of him. And it was so
0: flattering. How could he not? How could he not be charmed? By by the the hero worship evident in the script. So we wrote what he now refers to as the tear-stained letter. This is a letter because, oh, he had had actually turned us down a couple of times when we made the offers to his agents. So we sent um, Bill, uh, as we would later (laughs) refer to him, as the the tear-stained letter. And we talked about his brilliant comedic chops, never mentioning Star Trek. We mentioned Him in the abc's fridays and how great he was in, um saturday night live and i think um, you know we, we we may have even talked about airplane 2 i don't know if we did or did but uh but anyway we wrote this wonderful letter you know telling him how much it would be the thrill of a lifetime and how much this film and how much he meant to us and how funny he is and how perfect he would be and um you know how the movie you know was like playing against Sam yada yada so Rob and I are just morose over the fact that it doesn't look like we're going to get Shatner dreams in Hollywood are shattered. And our assistant is on the phone says, she says, William Shatner is on the phone for you. And we laughed because we knew that everyone knew we were desperate to get Shatner and there was no way he was calling. And maybe it was Darren doing his very, very good imitation. It was probably uh, me. So uh, she goes, no, it, it really is William Shatner. So put him on speakerphone and he goes, hello, gentlemen, this is William Shatner. And we're like, Oh my God, it really is Darren's voice, does good imitation, but not that good. So, um, and he goes, he goes, you guys, you've written a very funny script, but I'm not doing your movie. And it was like, what the hell? Why is he calling to tell us he's not doing our, this makes yeah. no sense. I would have your agent, you know, say, you know, why would you engage with us? And, and we're like, and, and of course we look at each other and like, well, is there anything we could do to convince you? And he goes, no. And we're like, Oh my God, we're sunk. And then the Shatner paused and he goes, Well, maybe there's one thing. And then we knew, then we knew, I think for the first time, that this movie was going to happen. We knew yeah. there was a way. And uh and we said, well, what what could we do that would make you do the movie? He goes, Well, you've written me as a god, a guru, a hero. He says, I'm not any of those things. I'm a fucked up guy. And we're like, What? He goes, Yeah, I'm not, I I I I I I'm, I, I'm embarrassed to sign autographs. And Rob and I are like, really? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, what can we do that would make it interesting to you? He goes, well, write me as a fucked up guy. Well, what, what kind of problems would you have? He goes, girls. And we're like, okay. And then we start riffing with him and like, Mr. Shatner, this, Mr. Shatner, that. And he goes, call me Bill. And for the next 20 minutes, we we'll are go back and forth. And we're just kicking around creative ideas with him. It's like a writer's room with William Shatner. And, yep. and it was, was-
6: astonishing it was astonishing because he
0: knew exactly what he wanted and we knew exactly what to do and um and so finally what
2: were his what were his parting
0: words to you well this is of- this, this, oh. this is the best because we said well uh, uh mr shatter we're so happy you know Bill, this is this is great thank you so much he goes now you can call me mr shatter we put that in the script it was very funny and he goes oh. so i'll read a rewrite i'm very interested in seeing it but i'm probably not doing your movie in fact yeah, i'm almost
6: sure i'm not He mentioned there was a Jennifer Lynch, David Lynch's daughter had made a movie called Boxing Helena that, that Kim Basinger was supposed to be in. Right. And he even referred to that on the phone. He said, listen, I don't want to get into some kind of, I don't want to say I'm going to do your movie and then I'm not going to do your movie and I'm going to get sued. He's like, I'm not going to do your movie just so you know, because I don't want to get into a Kim Basinger situation. And I thought that was pretty funny, but he, then he said at the end, he goes, but I'll read the rewrite. I'll read the rewrite. And it's interesting because at the same time,
0: you know, everyone was willing to go forward without him because so we were, we were what two or three weeks away from. just how long we'd been trying to get him, and yeah. so we were going. We had we had been scouting. We had been casting.
6: We had um, cast Eric McCormack, Will from Will and Grace. He's the first person that we cast in the movie. And, and Patrick we had a,
0: Van Horn from Swingers. From
6: Swingers, well. I mean, we had a really Deborah Van Valkenburg, and we had a really good, a really good cast. But we had what a couple was, of
0: table reads. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. In which, in which Darren played. Chatner. And um, before we cast Eric, I read the role of Mark, which was always funny because people were like, You should play Mark. I'm like, No, I'm not an actor. That's never gonna happen. At
6: first, at first, that was a possibility that we were gonna we were gonna play ourselves and make it for some really micro budget.
0: Not ourselves, the characters of Robert and right. The characters
6: of of Rob Mark. But I mean, we never I don't think you and I ever really wanted to do that because we're not actors. No, absolutely. And and, um, it was You know, what was really interesting about the whole thing was, you know, people ask, okay, well, how did you get it financed? And, you know, like you told the story about our financier and why you wanted to finance the movie. But for me, what was so crazy is when I met our financiers, I was actually in New York City at the independent independent feature film market, which they don't have anymore. And I had edited this movie called The New God's. And I was in New York and you called me up or you left a message where I was or something to call you. And you said, look, there's a financier who's very serious about financing this movie. And I'm flying out to New York and you and I are going to sit down with him. Remember where? We're at the Plaza Hotel. Yeah. And I had never Before been to the Plaza Before Trump owned it. It was the <laughs> Plaza Hotel. And, you know, we were going to have afternoon tea. And I mean, this was like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, you and I had like a three hour meeting where you and I were riffing and, 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 basically Rob and based Robin Mark show, we were very good. I mean, we were very good. And, <laughs> and like at the end of that meeting, he was like, well, boys, okay, I'm going to do this. We'll get you started and we'll send you some money to start. Yeah. Like, we're like, wait, what? Yeah. It was so people nowadays, they never, I've tried to tell people this story. I'm like, you're never going to believe this. Nobody ever believes it.
0: No, no, and that's exactly the way it happened. And we didn't have Shatner. And we didn't have, nor was it contingent upon us getting Shatner. I mean, we wrote a whole script in which it was a Shatner-esque type guy who would be played by Malcolm McDowell on on a show called Solar Quest. And so the guy comes and gives him advice, and he's really, you know, helpful and charming and all this stuff. Then they meet the real actor in real life, and he's a jerk,
6: you know? (laughs) And it was... Uh, you know, I'll never forget like the first check we got from him. There were no contracts signed, no paperwork, nothing, and it was a six figure check. And I remember you and I and our other producer, we like go to the. We had a bank account that we opened. There's like nothing in it, and we went to the bank with this check. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, just to, to, yeah. and it was like, is this check going to explode? Like, if we get it, it to When is this going to clear? Because yeah, like, just, it <laughs> was so it was so crazy that we had this large check from this guy who like you're guilty of something. Uh, yeah, it was so nuts. I mean, it was so this never it hasn't happened since, certainly. But <laughs> it was so crazy. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. S- nuts. I and, mean, you know,
0: so, we had all those bizarre meetings with people like, you know. Juliet Landau, you know, for the role of uh the Munchkin, and and you know, I, I always remember when she came into your office. You had all these action. It's like you know, Rob's Observatory now, but you had all these action figures and all those toys, and she and and then you know, she looks up and she sees Commander Koenig staring back at her. She says, this is really odd to be here, you know, taking this audition with my dad staring back at me, and like you <laughs> turn the action figure around.
6: I, I mean, uh, I just want to point out that as you say this. Uh, I just want to say, oh
0: yeah, look at that. (laughs)
6: Wow. That's pretty cool. It never ends, Mark. It It never ends. ends. But I have to say that the craziest meeting. So we had this idea that we were going to cast Star Trek actors in bit (laughs) parts, people that had been not just Shatner, but it was our meeting with Malachi. That uh, (laughs) Malachi throne. Yeah. Balakai throne from, for those of you who don't know, he was in the two part episode, the menagerie, Commodore Mendez, You're, Commodore Mendez. And, you know, we wanted him to p- potentially play a role in the film and he came in to meet with us. And, you and I was just like, wow, you know, it was so great. But then if you remember, remember he, we have this meeting with him and we're so excited. And then what does he tell us? He goes, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be in your movie. I'm not here to be in your movie. God, he said he
0: was too classy to play the character of a sleazy B movie producer because the movie starts with Mark uh, pitching this B movie producer um, his idea for a movie called Brady Killer.
1: So let me see if I understand you. This is a serious attempt to meld the sensibilities of Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, and Seven with Generation X angst in order to somehow parlay 70s nostalgia. See, with a couple of bankable foreign sales draws, you are virtually guaranteed a $15 million opening weekend. And it's called Lady Killer. No, no, no. No, no. Brady Killer. Remember? That's why the guy only stalks women named Marsha, Jan, and Cindy. Brady Killer is a, it's a metaphor for our times. It, 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 it's, it's, it's pop culture meets high art. Nick at Night meets Dostoevsky. It's a great, high-concept piece. I'm telling you, it's about the the death of '70s suburban bliss, which gives way to the the angst of '90s dystopian fatalism.
0: And uh, in which the serial killer kills only um, uh, people named uh, Marsha, Jan, and uh, Greg, and, uh, <laughs> and Cindy. And Cindy. And 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 uh, and it's so funny because, of course. Over the years, I've had people come up to me at conventions, and everything saying, "Mark, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know you know you've had a lot of success in the business, but that Brady Killer never happened for you." I'm like, "No, it was made up for the movie. It, it wasn't was a-, a real pitch. No, uh, it was. But do you remember he pitched us his son? Yeah, he pitched us what? Commodore Mendez, uh, Malachi Throne pitched us his son, but we're like, "Come on, man, we want you to do it." He would have been so great. And you you look at some of the stuff he did, but he didn't want to play this sleazy B movie because
6: he did have a scene where he 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 had a me too moment where he's going to hook up with this. Well, a yeah, woman, we, and
0: then we cut it. So, yeah, we, it's cut it. Cool. We, we cut it. We cut it. Not even in the movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. Where he, he's, he's with, with this B movie bimbo starlet. And, um and, and we cut it. I wonder if we would have gotten Malachi thrown if we had known then that we were going to cut it. Because no, of course we also probably. wanted to for Marlena, we wanted Barbara Luna, but we couldn't yeah. find her. The casting director couldn't find her. And then she found out years later when we actually got to know her and, Um, and, and she's heartbroken that she didn't get to play the role.
6: Barbara Luna, of course, played Marlena in, uh, mirror, mirror, the second season, original series episode, mirror, mirror. We
0: really should have gotten Joan Collins. I mean, since they didn't do it for generations.
6: I mean, Uh, we, we, we
0: we love the fact, I mean, Chatter, I remember we said, who should play your love interest? He goes, who's that gap tooth model? And we're like, I was Lauren Hutton. And we're like, well, Hutton, we, we yeah. couldn't get Lauren Hutton. And um, so we, we ended up getting pitched Deborah van Valkenburg. Of course, we we're both like from the Warriors and Streets of Fire. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah,
6: yeah, no, it was, it was, you know, it was a very, the experience of it was, was really incredible. And it was so much fun to make. And we had such a great, a great experience about it. But I, I am struck about how, you know, thinking about it now, when the movie came out in 1999, we were just on the cusp of when the internet exploded. I mean, it still took 12 hours to download a trailer for like The Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the internet was not what it was. We, we could have used the internet to leverage and and, and grant, get a lot of groundswell, a groundswell of support for the film. But we really were, it really was a moment in time that was very fleeting.
0: Well, and filmmaking was changing too. I mean, that was one of the last movies we were involved with. Where we negative, where we cut negative. I mean, yeah. we literally were at the negative cutter where they were physically cutting film. And, you know, I've never had that again on anything other than I think the specials, we also did negative. But everything after that, there was no, none of that. So it was really the end of an era. Um, I still have the film cans for some, you know,
2: was projected on obviously on film. And it's it's one of the last movies that was ever released on Laserdisc. Yes, it was. Yeah,
6: it was. And and it was a a really interesting time in terms of, you know, the fandom did not have... The one thing that the internet has done for fan communities is it's given everybody a way to connect. You know, you either go to conventions or... uh, Sure, you had, like, the well, the whole Earth electronic link, and you had... CompuServe and the early AOL Star Trek fan forums and all that stuff, but it was really, it came out right at the the end of of one era and the beginning of another.
2: But they were as arcane as dinosaurs compared to the M5.
0: Well, you know, it's funny because there are a couple of connections to June 4th. Our costume designer had been the costume designer of Poltergeist. Which right. was one of the reasons we hired her because we were such star at the time. It was like anybody who had any connection ah. to something we loved. Yeah, right. So and <laughs> uh and I, you know, and then it was also um the Star Trek II story where they go and get thrown out of a screening of Star Trek Two actually is based on something that really happened. We, we went to a midnight screening of Star Trek II and Rob got drunk and we basically almost got thrown out of a screening of Star Trek
6: Two in Me? Westwood. No. No, but it was it was a really interesting time. And, you know, I think you asked what it was about. I think the thing ultimate, ultimately what the movie was on a on a on a larger level was about friendship and how a a shared interest in all of these passions uh, allowed us to find. I mean, for those people who don't understand coming to L.A., we all came to L.A. in the late 80s or early 90s. And there was a very small group of people that were these passionate genre fans that loved sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. And we would, we, we'd all go to the same events, the same screenings when uh, some, like Raleigh Studios would have a Dario Argento series when Argento would actually come. And we would all meet there or we'd go to these monthly conventions at the Shrine Auditorium. And, and the same revival houses, everybody,
0: oh, hard-boiled at the new art? You know, it's like...
6: Yeah, and we would, we would go to these things and you would see the same people. Right. And, and it was a, it was not a large community. It was a very sc- sort of smaller, close knit community of people. And, and we all sort of became friendly mm-hmm. and, and the movie was kind of, it was born out of that. And it was a celebration. I mean, Darren is actually in the movie.
0: Well, because Darren had been so wonderful about coming to all these uh, readings of the script you know, through various rewrites. And obviously there were a lot of rewrites because of, uh, you know, our, our efforts to meet Bill's uh, needs to <laughs> say, and, and and Darren would read it over and over and over again. And never, it was always there for us, always a huge champion. So when the time came to actually do the, you know, party sequence at the end of the movie, which originally was going to be out of Point Doom, um, uh, cool. uh, but it got rained out. But, um, you know, we, we said to Darren, you know, you, why don't we have you in the movie? And he's so wonderful in it.
6: Well, that was another thing about the actual production of the movie was uh, we had the the biggest El Nino condition that had been seen in decades and things that were planned and things that we had storyboarded. And, and, you know, I'd even taken a camera and had been shooting storyboards at locations like we were going to shoot at a crown books, you know, that got rained out.
0: Oh, I mean, it happened again and again. Uh, uh, They closed the roads to Malibu, so the whole three days at the beach became uh, a change to a soundstage. I remember rewriting frantically while you were out at Jerry's Deli in Costa Mesa, um, rewriting because everything was going to shoot that weekend, was no longer going to be able to be filmed in, in, in Malibu. And you're right, I mean, the stuff that ended up being filmed at Golden Apple and Reseda... Um, it was going to be Creature Features, and that was going to be Golden Apple and Melrose, and it kept changing because our schedule kept changing. Yep. I think even the Iliad was supposed to be, uh, like you said, Crown Books, and you had storyboarded this really great sequence with a lot of camera movement, and you know, and it ended up being the Iliad, and the night we're at the Iliad. It was a downpour. I remember all the electrical equipment and, and Bill's like, I'm not going to get electrocuted. Am I? I mean, he was so great though. He was
2: such, I mean, the schedule kept changing because stuff kept getting rained out.
6: No, it it was, it was really interesting because people, people, what was your vision for how you wanted to shoot this movie? And I'm like, uh, we we had, we had like 40 locations. We had company moves every day. Knowing now, if I would known now what I knew then, I don't think I would have wanted to even make the movie the way we made it. No, absolutely it, not. Be, because it was absolutely inc- it was insane. It we was had this a idea twenty-four
0: to, day movie with multiple company moves virtually every day. Every was, day. I mean, we we, we were in, in we pr- were blessed with with naivete of not knowing what we didn't know at the time.
6: No, and and you know, it was it was interesting because I knew because I've been editing, I I knew that. You know, would I have liked to have done a lot more elaborate camera moves? Yes. Would I have have liked to have done a lot more stylish, stylistic flourishes? Yes. But the one thing that I that I got and I'll tell you something. What's really interesting is if you go back and you look at the movie, no other movie looks like it.
0: Yeah. Tell us about why, why, who the DP
6: was, Rob. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's, what's, what's really interesting was I had been editing this movie for a guy named Michael Nash called Nebraska. And it was, it was shot in 16 millimeter. And I really loved the look of it. And uh, I met the director of photography, of this movie, and he was an, an older gentleman. His name, his name is still is Chuck Barbie. And we got to talking and I'm like, Chuck Barbie, you know, your name your name's familiar, man. Like, 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 why would I know you? And he goes, well, you know, I used to work for Douglas Trumbull. And I'm like, wait, what? He goes, yeah, I worked for Douglas Trumbull. Like I made a documentary on the making of silent running. I'm like, are you kidding? Like I had already was a huge fan of his because of the, the work he'd done on, on this movie, Nebraska. I thought what he shot was really, really cool. And I couldn't believe it. Like, and then one day he brings in this photograph of the V'ger model from Star Trek, the motion picture. And it was a picture that he had taken a giant, big, big, big picture of. of Yeah. The- yes. That picture. And, and it was, it was unbelievable. And I was like, Oh my God. So we started talking I said, one day I'm going to make a movie dude and you're going to shoot it. And this was the movie. But one of the, the, the reason, what was really interesting, we did two things on the movie that I think save it. And, and I, I whenever I go back and look at it, we shot with vi- Kodak vision stocks because of the color and we shot with prime lenses, yep. which is what, you know, John Carpenter and Dean Cundy would shoot all of his early movies with. And the film, you know, while it's not that dynamic, it has the colors and the look of the images are, are very unique. And I don't think well, any other, it has other...
0: a very Finnerman ask uh, aesthetic to it,
6: which was intentional. Yes. And I had said to Chuck, I said, you know, these as the viceroy of verisimilitude, I told Chuck something. I said, look, these people, these characters live in a, in a world that's slightly heightened. It's more colorful than the world everybody else lives in. And it it really shows. And one of the things that I would love to do is if we ever do get to remaster, not when, well, when we do in 4K, especially if we do it with Dolby Vision, with high dynamic range, the colors in the film are You look at Swingers, you look at a Kevin Smith movie, other movies of the time, nothing has the color that we have in this in this film. I I have
2: I have to tell you, because you were mentioning, you know, all the the troubles with scheduling and the troubles with, uh, you know, making your uh, making your uh, uh, days. Um, The great thing about that is that we're all familiar with the fact that uh, difficulties help you focus very well. It helps you it helps you determine what is absolutely essential to what you're trying to do. And I think that um, your situation and the way that you could think on your toes uh, because of your background in editing um, helped you, you know, basically block out those scenes from nothing. You you know, you you said that you wanted to prepare more. I think that would have made it a little stale honestly. Well, I
6: also would have been been much more frustrated. Absolutely. You know, and I've been. I'll, I'll tell you, like the night that you actually, that wasn't. No, no, it was. So the the first night we shot the climax, which was this big party. It was a it, to this day, it was the longest at night the chaplain, of my life.
0: Chaplain stages at the chaplain the stages,
6: which is now the Jim Henson Studios. Yeah. It took like almost eight hours of a twelve-hour day to, to set up, in. Yeah, to load in and to set up, and I was. It was the only night on the whole show I had a trailer. And I was I was going insane because this is the end of the movie and we couldn't shoot the beach. And I thought we're and I went into the trailer just to be quiet. When I walked into my trailer, all of my friends were in it. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and they're all hanging out. And the cast is across the street at a strip bar, you know, and 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 I'm just I took a walk and I'm like, what am I doing? So we had to shoot stuff. So I was shooting a lot of it didn't make it into the movie, but I was shooting these little vignettes. And Darren, that was the night. That you and I shot with a woman who's no longer with us, Natalie Joy. Yeah, Natalie Natalie. Joy, uh, who did a scene with you, and it was funny. She was a girl that found a shooting on on uh, Wilshire Boulevard, and she came down to the Theater. Yeah, yeah, come be in the movie, and it was very funny. So, what was it like? Like, I basically the way I remember it, I'm like, okay, Darren, you know, we're gonna shoot. Yeah, and I said, okay, here's the premise. You know. And, and, and I said to Natalie, you know, Darren's going to say, say, get to a point and you just have to say, well, who's that? You know? And I'm like, Darren, do what you do. Like, I didn't really know what you were going to well,
2: do. First of all, I didn't either. It was, it was 5:30 in the morning. We'd been there a long time,
6: a long time. Uh,
2: and uh, it's a, it's a blur. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely a blur. Uh, Cause it was then. But I'd done a little, you know, uh, ad libs before, but I just, you know, I wanted to get to that end part where I see Shatner up there. uh, And I was just trying to pick up this girl, you know, but as only a a, a, an ineffectual geek would. (laughs) Uh, But it it was funny because, you know, I was doing my doing my Shatner voice and all that stuff.
6: Yeah, but dude, you know what? It was one of those moments, it was the long, dark night of the soul. But when I saw you do it, I'm like, you know what? It's going to be okay. Because what you did was so good.
2: It was sure fun. It always it was,
0: gets a huge laugh from audiences. That's for sure.
6: You know, but, and, and 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 that night, like another thing we did was was another another one of our good friends who was a, a champion of the script who, who gave us great advice was Alan Spencer, yeah. who was who's been a showrunner and a longtime writer in Hollywood for decades. And we, you know, a protege of Mel Brooks and all that. He was always a champion of the script. Gave us some great notes. He also, you know, I took him aside. And we shot a little vignette, and I was intercutting these vignettes later. Yeah. But without what he did, without what you did, we wouldn't have been able to. He was like,
0: just let, just let me go, and that's yeah. what he did. I mean, all those interstitials were pretty much ad libbed, you know, yeah. and and, and <laughs> it, it works great. But that was that was the set where Rob's big note to the production designer was. Watch Guardians of Piri and he gave them the laser disc. And he said, What is this? And he said, It's a laser disc. And, um, and uh, I'd like it to look like uh, the planet in Guardians of uh, Piri because originally that's what the beach scene was going to be, like. yeah.
6: And they made they made those, those light yeah. fixtures, yeah. we we're, yeah. we were yeah. supposed to bury them in this in the sand, sand, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and but we used them anyway, you know, yeah, and but, it, it was, it, it was, I mean, the, the funny thing about when I look back on that experience, it was. You know, everybody was working really hard and we were flying by the seat of our pants. And yet we did have we did have a lot of good people, you know, and and we did like we didn't have to go back and do reshoots. You know, we did do some a couple of pickups because we needed some outside shots. It was a there was one conversation that that I was kind of obstinate about. I'm like, look, we have to shoot this outside. You know, we we couldn't shoot this. I'm like, we have there's got to be the sunset. Got got Yonada. The yeah. Melrose—that was yeah. an accident. Yeah, yeah, which was great. Um, but it, it was an interesting—it was an interesting time. Uh, it was a very
0: delicate time.
6: A very delicate time. <laughs> and and, and yes. it's funny
0: because you know what was so interesting. People always—the first question they always ask, and Robert, you know, I were a lot of Q and As for this at conventions and at uh, 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 film festivals and, and stuff. where We won a, a bunch of awards before we came out, but they always ask, "What was Shatner really like?" And we always say the same thing. We say he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. He, he was a gift. He, he was you delightful. And 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 people are like, really? Is that what you're supposed to say? And I'm like, no, he was. He was amazing. And he you was know, so supportive. And you know, he was the one at three and four in the morning who still had energy. Well, you was, know, it's
6: funny. You know, we have to say that that, you know, we pretty much made our days. We shot at 12, 12 hour days, but there was one day, yeah. That we knew we were going to have to go over. The and it was going to be, gonna be a, a, yeah, 16 hour day. Yeah. We're in this big, we had lots of extras. It was our last was like, day,
0: hard out, couldn't stay, had to load out.
6: I had to load out, had to get out of there. And so sh- it was a Shatner day where he had to work for 16 hours. And, you know, we moved all around the club. And the last scenes we shot, you know, with Rafer and, and my dad, you know, that last yeah. bit And even my father was, it was so funny because that our both of our fathers were there. And, and, you know, if we get a chance to remaster the movie, I would cut your dad back into the film.
0: Yeah. He'll really appreciate Uh, that wherever he is.
6: I know, but I know we can do it. I know we can, uh, I know we can do it. Um, I think we can, uh, it. I think we can do it, (laughs) but, but it was really interesting because at that, at the end, like you said, Shatner was there. He'd been there for 16 hours. He'd been in every scene we'd shot that day, pretty much. And, and he still brought it. Yeah. Like there was no, you know, there was no hesitation. He was joking with the crew. He was having a a, a really good time. That was the day and, I told him the Al Pacino generation story
0: because you know he's sitting around. I could tell he was getting a little bored. And somebody, I think it was Darren, even said, "Tell him the story." And I told you know story about well, he was your captain. Yeah, yeah, exactly, literally. <laughs> um, how you know Al Pacino was such a huge fan. Of uh, genera- of him in generations, how much he hated Patrick, but how brilliant he thought Chatner was. Um, the Shakespeare guy, the Shakespeare guy. It took a whole mountain to kill Kirk, but the Shakespeare guy, one rock. Ooh, ah, he can't stand it. He's weak. He's no kind of man. But look at Kirk, a whole mountain, and he's still alive <laughs> because he's twice the man of the Shakespeare guy. And it, was, it was so great. It is the guy directing Richard III. I mean, yeah,
6: I mean, he- no, it, it it was a really, it was a lot of fun, and it was, uh, you know, more than that. I mean, everybody sort of came together, and yeah. and and what was really interesting about it was how much, like, obviously, we had a hard time selling the film, but but it went, it won all these awards, it went places, and we couldn't get distributors come see it.
0: Well, they you know, we did, even with the festivals and stuff. I mean, the biggest, look, the biggest problem was, you know, we really got screwed because New Line wanted to buy the film and certain people involved in shopping, it said, oh, Miramax and the Weinsteins are going to see it this weekend. Let's hold off. And we're yeah, like, no. yeah, but we got New Line ready to buy the movie right now. So why don't we take the bird in hand? You know, so what do you guys know? You've never done a movie, right?
6: Well, that was, <laughs> dude, that was so, and w- one of these people said to me, You know, they're going to want to change things and open up the movie, and we're going to have to spend more money on a sound mix. That was what I was told about. So, let's do it.
0: And then Bingham Ray and then Bingham Ray, you know, from USA Pictures, was like, you know, pretentious. He was like, I don't I don't like it. It's not for me. And so it's like, you know, and then we had people around the fence. Is there an audience for this? Is there an audience for like every Star Trek fan in the world is going to want to come see this?
6: You know, it's funny. It's true, because if New Line, if we had allowed New Line to pick up this movie, our our lives might be very different.
0: Because Mark Ordesky, Mark Ordesky was in, um, was traveling that weekend. And so basically he came back and screened it on Monday or Tuesday and he didn't respond to it. But Rachel Horowitz, I can't believe I remember all this. She was she 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 loved it and wanted to pick it up that weekend. They said, no, we're going to. And at that point, it's like, you know, you're sort of insulting them by saying, oh, well, we, yeah. we, we hope we can get a better deal down the street from Harvey and Bob. So um, they were just going to screen it. You know, it's just it's, it's, it's very frustrating. But you know, look, the movie is what it is. We're so proud of it. And it's so funny because, you know, we talk about Shatner, but I remember those early meetings before we went into filming. You know, we, we talked about that first meeting when we're in his office, you know, to, where he was going to give us some notes on the script. And, you know, that's when Ricardo Montalbán called and and Chandler picks up the phone and goes, hello, Ricardo! And they're talking and you and I are like positively Dude. giddy because we're like, it's just like Star Trek 2. They talk but they never meet. And uh, we're just so excited <laughs> over the whole thing. And then, you know, he's explaining. We have that whole scene um, where he's talking about Omicron three, And, um, and he says, you know, farming and, and something with Jill Ireland, right? And yep. he goes, and he goes, well, that actor, she died of cancer. So it would be better to reference the character's name in that particular episode. So I understand they have these encyclopedias, these books, where you could look up the name. You go look at the, one of the books. You could find one of these Star Trek guides. And it'll tell you what character this yeah, actress I... played in this episode that you're referencing. <laughs> and Rob and I both yell out, Leela Colomi? And he goes... Right.
6: Yeah, <laughs> and then I was like, I- "If that's the name of her character in that episode," right.
0: and uh, and it was so funny because I think it was the first moment. I think he thought we were just being very cagey. we were exploiting Star Trek to make money. Like we we're very smart. He thought you were trying
2: to trick him and make him believe that you were fans. So, but he didn't think we were actual. Because how could these guys
0: have raised the money? Be making a movie? They can't be real fans. Yeah, Little, did yeah. Little did he know. Little did he know.
4: Mark and Robert. Uh had an idea for a script which involved me uh... because they apparently as kids would uh, conjure me up and, and seek my advice and I in their, as a figment of their imagination guru-like would offer uh, wise pearls <clears throat> and uh, so they wrote the script uh... for fun uh... from what I understand you know uh... and uh, lo and behold beyond their expectations their script sold, so now they had money to make a movie. So then they contacted me through some aid, you know, lawyers' agents, things, and they said, uh, "Here's a script we'd like you to be in." So I read it, and I, this guru uh, talks and uh, offers pearls, and um, and uh, the Mark, the fictional Mark, and Robert <coughs> Fawn all over uh, Shatner, and uh, and discourse on the uh, on the aspects of his career. Well, it was just totally embarrassing. I mean, uh, it, it was bizarre. And I said, thank you very much. I, I don't want to be in it. And they proceeded to pursue me for a long time. <clears throat> and finally, uh, because I'd heard that they got the money and they were upset. And I know what it's like to look for money for independent production. So I called them.
0: And, I said, and it uh, continued because, of course, we, you know, we talked about I'm filling at the Iliad. You know, that rainy, rain-swept day, you know, and that was talking about a couple of great ad-libs, the mind comp thing and Salute to Cheese, but, you know, and him reading the, the Hustler magazine, but um, what was, so,
5: yeah, I, I, at
0: some point we were talking about, um, I don't know what brought it up, but we're talking about Angelique Pettyjohn, and Chatner over here is the conversation, and with like a raised eyebrow worthy of Spock, he goes, who's Angelique Pettyjohn, and then he walks yeah. away, and it was like, yeah. oh, you know, Bill, we know you know. <laughs> We know exactly what happened there. I shall always remember you, James Kirk.
6: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, I look back and you know, we also had some pretty fun adventures because of it. Yes. We, we both did. got to go to Europe for the first time. Yeah. We went to Spain to the
0: Sigis film festival where it actually
6: had its debut. And, um, uh, the first night we were there is still one of the greatest nights of my life. And, uh, <laughs> I learned a very important lesson on that night. What was that, Rob? <laughs> well, when when someone offers you something that's amazing and, and there's no downside to it, the first thing you shouldn't think is, well, if this is my first night in Europe...
5: Uh, Who
2: knows uh, what's what's going to happen
6: tomorrow? And and it was it was a I learned how my very American way of thinking was was and and I didn't even understand how wrong it was. This was in in um this was actually in October of 1998. I learned this lesson, and I didn't realize how wrong I was until Mark, you and I were back in Spain in 2011. Yeah, 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 and. And, We're in 2011 and, and we're at a, a, the same di- a discotheque. And these three girls walked up to me and they said, you're Rob Burnett, aren't you? And I said, yep. And they said, do you remember a certain individual? And I said, remember, this is 12 years later. Yeah, I yeah, said, yeah, yeah. oh, yes, I do. And they're like, yeah, she still talks about you. That's you fucked up. That, <laughs> I'm like, That's why sentimental wow. problems,
0: they called it in Europe sentimental, sentimental problems.
6: problems. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I, uh, all I needed to do was keep, you know what? I should have heeded Yoda's advice. Never his mind on where he was. You made some pretty stupid mistakes in your life, but that one has to take the (laughs) cake. That was a dumb one. Uh, You know, you have one of the greatest nights of your life and someone says, Hey, why stop now? And, And I'm like. Probably wants to keep his options open. Yeah, yeah wow. <laughs> wow, boy, that was uh, that was dumb, dumb, dumb.
0: We had so much fun. And we were really wondering, because the film was subtitled in uh, Spanish and Catalan, where, like, most of people don't even speak English. Like, how is it going to play, you know, especially as a comedy, right? And we were so thrilled to see that fans are the same all around the world, because it played really, really well. And a couple years, a month later, we found ourselves in Paris, uh, you know, um, convention Paris, which was another, that was remarkable. a whole other experience. Yeah, so, so, that was, wasn't
6: it? That was. No, it was weird. I mean, and, and you know, I'll tell you one of the, the, one of my favorite experiences when we were up in Edmonton, Canada at the first half of the local heroes film festival. And, mm. and, and our movie was on the same marquee with Arthur Hiller's film, the Americanization of Emily. And you remember mm. we hung out with that whole night, John Landis. That's right. Yeah. John Lennis, but also Arthur Hiller was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and we got to talk to him, and seeing that our movie on the same marquee with 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 uh, with uh, that that film, which I love, you know, it was it was a pretty amazing, it was an amazing experience all the way around.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny people
6: people uh, Tarantino you know, in Hawaii, yeah,
0: at the treehouse in Hawaii, yeah, when he started imitating I Shatner all the lines from the movie.
6: You'd seen the movie once, and you knew every line of dialogue. It
0: was amazing. It was amazing. It was the first time we met Quentin, and it was a it was a, what a, what a way to to meet him in his treehouse. We felt like the Ewoks. I mean, yeah. it was it was it was you know it's funny, and I know we sound like I don't know how interesting these stories are for, but you know, um, it's not very often that we really have a chance to talk, tell these stories. It's been a long time since we've talked about this, and it's it's always a delight because it brings back such wonderful memories of of friendship and. Filmmaking and, and passion and um, yeah travel, because, you know, of course, the greatest adventure, the human adventure was our trip to Cannes, where, you know, Bill took <laughs> the, the, the SST, the Concord, and we were in steerage and um, on another plane <laughs> that barely got there. And uh, and he gave because in the movie he, he wears this bomber jacket, this really he looks great in it, you know, a really great leather uh, jacket. And so the plan is for I him didn't to beam down. I parachute, <laughs> Exactly. Which was an ad lib from him. And
6: uh, yeah, uh, well, yeah, well, well, I, I actually told him to say that. OK, bro. because because he no, because he might have.
0: OK, right. that's true. You did tell him that. I know you told him that. Maybe you
6: did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's that because <laughs> that, it was his it was his ad lib. And he's he and I said, that's you got to say that. Yeah, no, that was great.
0: Look, that whole scene is great you know, and it's in my real office at, uh, at the, I remember that's that was my real office, um, so at the time, um, so we, um, so we go to Cannes and 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 Bill is going to give this leather jacket to um, Planet Hollywood Cannes, which was a big deal at the time, this was when Planet Hollywood was like a big deal, and so he's in front of like hundreds of world press, paparazzi and press and all kinds of people very excited and he gives this wonderful speech, he goes you know, he goes, I, I was in a thrift store in um in los angeles and i found out that this belonged to the great flying ace eddie rickenbacker and um and so i wore it in the movie and now i'm bringing this legendary jacket back to the beaches of france and uh he comes off the stage and we're like my God, Bill, that's amazing story. We had no idea the costume designer didn't tell us He goes, of course not. I made it up. <laughs> it was like and and it was like, oh my god he's this is why he's Bill Shatner yeah this, this is he's so incredible because he he was spellbinding, and there was not an iota of truth to the story that he made up, <laughs> and uh I wish we hadn't given that jacket to planet Hollywood because I wish I still had it,
6: yeah, I mean uh, I didn't really keep anything No, from- I don't have much. The film, you know, I got some posters and, you know, that's about it.
2: Memories, friends, and 8 by (laughs) 10s Memories, friends, and 8 by 10s that's
0: true. And, uh, but it was, it was, it was great. And, you know, look, I, you know, as I've, I've been very candid that I, sometimes I don't like to talk about the movie because Rob and I had a very um, distressing experience on the sequel, which was um, two weeks, less than two weeks away from, uh, going before cameras when it all fell apart, unfortunately, due to the machinations of a very unsavory character, um, and uh, so I, you know, I, it's, it's besmirched the whole experience for me, the whole memory. You know, it's like if I could erase that, I would be very yeah. happy.
6: Well, you no, know, and and I, you know, I continued on to try and keep it alive, and it was an, it was, it it continued to be very unsavory, <laughs> and to, to, to even more so.
0: Yeah, well, I, I got to tell you, I think. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun to buy a newspaper. No, I think it would be fun to um, one day maybe read a few um, pages from the script for Enterprise 2. Not today, because this episode's already too long, but um, might be fun well, to get Darren and the, some of the gang back together you, to read some of that.
6: You know what I was thinking about that, though? Um, have you listened to like the audio drama of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman? I have not. It's incredibly elaborately produced, and it's on Audible. Mm. I've often thought, because it's too late to shoot a sequel to Free Enterprise. Yes. But we could do an audio drama, and I bet we could get an incredible cast together.
0: I bet we could. Well, we had and an incredible cast for Free Enterprise, too. That's what's
6: so crazy. We had, No, we did. But you know, we could get our original cast for Free Enterprise back
0: i i there's people i wouldn't want to work with given uh things that have happened in their lives
6: that well that's I, true
0: but uh but the, but you know i i um you know certainly i mean we had like elijah dushku and we had um uh richard libertini malcolm and john and malcolm mcdowell and and bill of course and we just had this incredible and david hedison and david <laughs> hedison it would have been great most of them are passed away it's really sad um yeah. and and of course I'm how desperate we were to try and get uh, Leonard. And uh, some of his emails, one day I'll have to release those emails um, where he would write back and say, please leave me alone, stop. Because, of course, when we recorded Bill for the, uh, the 70th birthday video we did for him, um, we, we, we interviewed all these great people, Ben Stiller and everything, including Leonard Nimoy. We went to his house and he yep. goes, do I know you, gentlemen? Because when we made the, uh, the the movie with William Shatner, Free Enterprise, and he goes, uh, get out of my house. And we wanted to put that away. <laughs> he says, he says, you you talk about how great Captain Kirk is and how he changed your lives. What about Spock?
6: <laughs> yeah, he was very, he was very. And he I could never great. tell
0: if he was joking or not because we had heard. That he was at a screening one some usher had told us that Leonard had shown up to a weekday screening of Free Enterprise at the Century Plaza with the ABC Entertainment when it was still there and sat in the back and watched it. So we knew he had seen the movie, but never knew what he thought of it. And he told us. Wow. <laughs> yep. Of, yes, he of, did.
2: Of course, for the uh, David Hedison role, we could always get Jeff Goldblum.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorite, even though it was a cameo, is like the whole premise of Free Enterprise 2 is about Rob's going to get married uh, to, to Claire and um, and uh, Shatner decides to become a rabbi so he can, you know, at first we're like, you, you know, he says, I'm going to I'm gonna conduct the wedding. And we're like, you're not a real ship's captain. You, you can't do that. He goes, no, but I'm going to become a rabbi. And so he disappears. and They go on this worldwide thing and he brings peace to the Middle East. And, um, but at, at one point, there's this whole screwball comedy sequence, and they're trying to um, – he's trying to get to the wedding, and um, or Mark's trying to get to the wedding, and he's he, he opens this reception hall, and it's not Chatner or whoever he's looking for. It's not it's not their wedding. It's Richard Hatch, and he's conducting a Bowser galactic wedding, and they're like, oh, wrong room, and he goes, may the lords of Cobalt bless you, dude, and it's just this little <laughs> nothing cameo, but it's so – it's just wacky. And then, you know, like Shatner and Mark, and they finally make it to where Rob and Claire are about to get married and Shatner conducts the wedding. And it's actually just lovely.
6: Yeah, it is. Did we I keep mean, the would've... scene?
0: The, we had a post credit scene I, 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 where where um, they, Rob and, and Claire have kids and, and their kids are conjuring up now instead of Shatner. Um, Janeway.
6: <laughs> well, like- you know what else we had in it? we had a a final scene where there was a running joke in the sequel where Shatner was going to have a show called William Shatner's extreme adventures.
0: Oh yes. And that
6: was a running joke. And he was going, the last scene in the movie was going to be well over the credits was he was going on the space shuttle with Richard Branson.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. He was
6: actually going up into space and they were going on the last shuttle and and he he slaps a, uh, a bumper sticker on it that said Virgin Galactic.
0: Oh, my God. The,
6: and it shuts the door shut and then it rockets off. And, and we were going to shoot footage of the very last shuttle launch.
0: Rob, I haven't thought about that in, in 10 years. But I remember writing the letter to Branson, seeing if he would do the movie. I remember writing that that letter, the
6: yep. letter to Richard Branson. And how crazy is it? The bastard
2: went and did it.
6: He went and did it, yeah, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he that went, I mean, can you imagine if we'd actually pulled the movie off and got that made? And that was the end of the film and Shatner actually then went out been, into space. It would
0: have been extra, extraordinary. It would have been extraordinary.
6: No, there was a lot of things in the free enterprise wrath of Shatner script that was very forward thinking. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. There was a lot in there that was great and it would have been awesome. And, and, uh, Pam Greer was going to be in it. Pam Greer was going to be in it. Such a good cat. I don't know. Now I'm getting excited. I don't want to talk about it. I know. It's one of those things, you know, it's the one that got, I might've had more of a career. <laughs> it was not to be Cherie, Exactly. But, um, but you know what? The, the movie we did make free enterprise. It's a wonderful love letter to Bill, to our fandom, to our friendship. Uh, we made it, like you said, with a great creative team. Many mm-hmm. people were still friends with, and very close friends with, um, so great to be able to get so many of them into the movie. People like Darren, people like Gab Stanton, people like, um, uh, um, Eric Wallace, you know, all these people who were in the, in the film. Um, and, uh, you know, of course I, and look, I met my wife because of free enterprise, not that she had anything to do with the movie, but she was a huge fan. I met her at a yeah. film festival and, and it was the only reason she stopped to talk to me was she, she liked the free enterprise hat. It was a huge fan of the movie. So, uh, it's, uh, so I owe that movie a, a lot. Yep. Uh, so, um, and uh, I'm glad you know here on the what 20, 23rd anniversary.
6: That's crazy,
0: crazy. I, I I can't believe it. I mean, 1999. I'll, I should always remember it because you know I associate with space 1999, and that right. day we went out and looked at, to see if the moon was still there. Well,
6: it's funny if we ever get to do a remastered version, the movie opened with a with a tagline that says the near present. Yeah, and I've always thought that if we I did a version of it. The near past. Well, no, I, I, the movie should open on September 13th, 1999 oh. <laughs> because in the end credits, it says September 13th, 1999. And it, because it's a period piece now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if we yeah.
6: remaster the film for people who hadn't seen it, if it opens, we now, it actually is a, it's a That's setup funny. that is later paid off in the opening or the end credits. Well, Rob, it was a period
0: piece then because we refused to admit the DVDs. Would destroy laserdisc. So everyone's talking about their laserdisc, even though it was kind of like the, the, the lasers were already going away and DVDs were already becoming a thing, but we refused to admit it. So everyone's yeah, talking about laserdisc the whole movie. Which,
6: if we get to remaster, no, when we get to remaster, it just add, adds resonance to the movie. And that's why I think we should open it with that. December, I love that. Um, I love September that. 13th, September 13th, 19...
0: 1999. You know, that's so came... great. In the font. <laughs>
6: Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. You heard it here
6: first, guys. In the in the font.
2: Uh, the name of that font, by the way, is Braggadocio. Well, of course. We're bragging about it.
0: That is funny. And of course, we had the greatest closing credits of all time, which was just a complete <laughs> lark by Rob and I. And people still talk about those closing credits. You know, <laughs> I love it. Good Princess, Leia, Bad Princess, Ardala. Yeah. And, you know, wise guy Ken Wall, <laughs> you know, Vinnie Turnover. And it's just like, I mean, we have all these weird um, uh, little things. And then, of course, it ends with um, and uh, William Shatner will return and William Shatner versus the World Crime League, which much like that famous sequel never saw the light of a projector bulb, sadly.
6: No. no. Well, <laughs> Darren, another dream that failed. <laughs> there's nothing sadder. The impossible has <laughs> happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's so many um, uh, a Star Trek. Even in the ADR, I remember um, uh, during the party, like when we were doing the looping, we added, just say, I'm for you, Lieutenant Diabato." We threw it. There's so much stuff in there that like to unpack it, would, it hours it, could feel like days. I mean, it was just like so much in there. And we, you know, we didn't even talk about Chatner rapping, you know, of course, he wants to do this one man show. You're a living legend, thanks, Mark. Mark.
4: Let's stop talking about my love. Now, I've been giving this a great deal of thought, and I think I should write the music as well. That's great, Bill.
1: Hey, maybe you're better off without this woman. You know, Now
4: you're free to concentrate on the work. When's our meeting with uh, Full Eclipse? Because I, I've got a great xylophone player and a great bongo player for the story pitch meeting. And they're great, man. And I am ready,
0: and I am raring to go. I've got the perfect toga. No one will ever believe this. And we partnered him with a rapper who was uh, used to be with Tupac in Tupac's, uh, Tupac's Posse.
6: Yeah, and now he's in obese, San Luis Obispo for life. Yeah,
0: I know. But uh, at the time, I, I'll never forget, you know, talking to them and saying, you know, Bill Shatner's coming here to collaborate on the song. And we're in the studio underneath the, you know, and he comes pulling up in his convertible jag. And they're all like little schoolboys. Like, and, and uh, it was amazing. And like Captain, K, Captain Kirk. And it gets, gets old real fast. And was like, "Oh man!" Like, and then, but then they got along like crazy. I remember he started telling the story somehow. We we're talking about how uh, Julius Caesar was a lot like Martin Luther King. Yep. And they started explaining why and how, and we thought, "Oh my where god, we go with this, Bill." Yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was amazing. They were in the palm of his hands, and by the time Bill drives away, they're all like, "Goodbye, Bill. Goodbye." And these are hardcore yeah. gangster rappers. They loved it was amazing.
6: Him. It was amazing.
0: Yeah. So that oh. was uh, June 4th, uh, or September 13th, 1999. <laughs> September 13th, 1999. <laughs> <Darren, laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. We
2: had good times. You're darn right. And the funny thing about it is that at the time that you guys were shooting, I was just starting to uh, deal with uh, Robert Wise and the, uh, and the Motion Picture Director's Edition. Another wow. another,
0: dream, another dream fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, so
2: it's it's like a double anniversary.
0: It is. That's true. Except <laughs> yours came out. We're still well, waiting. <laughs> patience.
6: <laughs> yeah. Patience. Soon you will be with him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it. it, it uh, what I love about Great it is
6: adventure
0: is it's such. Uh, it pays homage to Bill and it pays homage to how important Star Trek was to us and why. I think yeah. it captures why we love Star Trek and why that character of Captain Kirk was so important to us and the generation yeah. of people who grew up on the original Star
6: Trek. So, Absolutely. Someday it will
0: return. Stronger. It just faster, more intense. Um, <laughs> God, I just it just brings back such I f- fond memories. All those times uh, you know, we work on the script, you know, it's like two in the morning. Oh, let's go to In N Out Burger. Rob and I would just hop in the car and go to the drive-thru. It was the only time you didn't have to wait at at the drive-thru for
6: an hour. Or Jerry go to Jerry's Deli.
0: Or Jerry's Deli, which is everything's gone. It's all gone it's, now. It's all gone. It's all gone. All this all the stuff we show on the film, first day of shooting at, at Cartoonsville, gone. You know, um, Jerry's Deli, gone. Um the. Uh, Bombay Bicycle Club, Garden of Eden, the ga- the the Galaxy Theater in Hollywood, gone, gone, gone. They're all gone.
6: All of it's gone,
0: and it's gone, just like Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Um, and then we had the soundtrack come out, which was awesome.
6: That was awesome. Yeah, that was really good. It was I mean, great.
0: So anyway, okay. Before we get, uh, you know, no, you know, but uh, okay, modeling. Not at yeah. all. But uh, and, and and you know it's so funny because the one thing people don't realize is you know the original cast was going to be Christian Slayer and Samantha Massett, and uh, <laughs> Christian ended up going to jail, and we didn't want to push, and and nope. and so we ended up you know shooting with a, a very different cast, and um, obviously Samantha didn't want to do it without um, Christian. They yep. did not pump them up, but we got Audie Englund, who who is just wonderful, just a sweetheart, and we saw her a couple of years ago at the um, at San Diego Comic Con, and it was so wonderful to see her. She yeah. is so sweet.
2: Now, you, yep. you said Christian Slater, right? Yeah, Christian yeah. Slater. Because I, I thought you said Christian Bale, and that would be... No, 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 Christian Slater. But, Not Christian yeah, Bale, Christian, Bale. Uh, Christian
0: Bale. Slater. Yeah, pump up the volume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sulu's, dance, dance. Sulu's, uh, Sulu's Yeoman.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, Darren, is there anything you want to add? Anything we missed? Look, um, every, every, uh, every memory uh, comes flashing back to me. Yeah. And it, it was such a, a, a fun time and a, 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 a mind-expanding time. And um, I, I'm, just, I'm just glad that I was able to share some of that with you guys. And uh, I, I will never forget it. And it'll always be a big part of my life.
0: But that's why you're such a good friend to us. Because, I mean, you were so supportive through the whole process. You were always there for us. There was nothing you weren't willing to jump in and help and... Um, you know, it meant a lot, and we were lucky to well, have you.
2: If if Free Enterprise Two had happened, I wasn't really happy with my scene, and I would have demanded some rewrites. But it would have been like uh,
0: Clemenza; <laughs> we would have had to recast you. That's
2: right.
6: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we would have rewritten that stuff anyway. Yeah, I mean,
2: I, wanna, was... I want an associate to write my dialogue.
6: Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll make you an offer. You can't refuse. Yeah. Yeah. I'll
0: bring it out. ready. He would have gotten it yeah.
6: done. I yeah. already yeah. would have got
0: it done. <laughs> anyway. Well, look, this was an interesting walk down memory lane and, 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 um, you know, uh, I just I wonder, like, did you go see Poltergeist the day after Star Trek II opened? Because obviously, we also Star Trek II opening day.
6: Oh, I, I did. As a matter of fact, I, I saw Star Trek II four times opening day at the John Dance Theater, and right. they had a laser show mm. before every show. They showed the trailer with a laser show. Mm. Um, and then uh it was it was I went down that was in Bellevue, Washington, and I went downtown. To the town theater where Poltergeist was showing in 70 millimeter. Oh,
2: wow. That's funny because I saw it at the Jack Nance theater.
0: Named after you... Racerhead. <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> I I saw Star Trek 2 twice opening day. The first time to watch it, the second time to record it on my hidden tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I went to see Poltergeist the next day.
6: Yeah, I did too.
2: I didn't see Poltergeist until it was on video. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. Oh, I was
2: too busy watching Star Trek 2.
0: I understand. It was a, in the theater because it was a Lowe's, so they had the Paramount movies, and and MGM. So it was on screen one was Star Trek Two, screen two was Poltergeist. They had the MGM uh, well, and, the, and the Paramount titles.
6: You know, we're recording this right on the verge of this anniversary, but but June 2022 is the 40th anniversary of E.T. The Thing, Blade Runner. I've heard the that Road Warrior had come out. Yeah, it was the oh, that's right. Ever. But it was the greatest geek month? month ever. It was the greatest geek month ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of
0: Megaforce. Yeah, <laughs> Deeds, yeah. not words. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the good guys always win, even in the 80s. So anyway, that's enough indulgence. But, you know, for, for a lot of you, you've been asking about, you know, hearing more about Free Enterprise and these stories. And, you know, we figure we've given you 52 episodes a year. We might as well uh, take one of them to talk about the the film that brought us all together. Yep. You know, and uh, and here we are. Um, so uh, thank you for joining us and indulging us. Thank you, Rob Byer-Burnett, for joining us once again here on the show. And you can follow Rob daily on the Burnett Network, where he uh, brings imagination connoisseurs around the world. The to latest on genre happenings. So um there you go. So check him out. Um, and you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram and all that. He also has a moth. Like a moth to the flame. I know the moth I had the door
6: open in the moth. Uh, David flew in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, and of course we want to thank Mark Rivera for mixing this episode and uh, again congratulate him on the birth of his uh, baby girl. And um, we want to thank our producers, Pete Holmstrom, Matt, and in Muscali, and you, of course, for sticking around as we take this walk down memory lane. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Inglorious Trekspert. So until then, on behalf of Robert, Darren, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course.
4: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. (laughs) Tears, tears, tears for Caesar.
6: The evil that
4: men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault, and grievously hath Caesar answered it here under leave of brutus and the rest for brutus is an honorable man so are they all all honorable men honorable men honorable men this was a man this was a man no tears for Caesar.
5: We travel, style good, this life is so gentle at the world, it's not in our stars, but in ourselves. that need us wrong so great, For fake, the greatest wrong of all, no tears cease. Now this was a the man, king, cowers died many times, before the deaths, the plague went deep, blood ran rain. sick and stab, We and gave, gave the beast. Peace. Yeah. Yeah. the rest yeah. of the beast, yeah. he's yeah. down cease, a good man makes nature, and hate us, yeah. yeah. sacrifice yeah. for the yeah. least. The The most world of you all Roman, Julius the all for our For dreams room want Julius no Great hero No tears for Caesar No need to solve evil oh, The evil that you do do to you Don't, don't cry, Caesar. La, la, la do Sky, Soft right. oh, The evil that you think My Don't, don't cross Caesar Beware the eyes of March. I hear the evil that you speak, but don't backstab me. Like Brutus to the seas, the go round, cross round, say true. The evil that men do, the thief don't wolf me, fall, cease, fall, the doubt so more.
4: Come I to speak in Caesar's funeral? He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man he hath brought many captives home to rome whose ransoms did the general coffers fill did this in caesar seem ambitious when that the poor have cried caesar hath wept ambition should be made of sterner stuff yet brutus says he was ambitious and brutus is an honorable man the evil that you do we'll come back
5: to you don't cry ambitious may Many times, before death, the place went deep. Blood ran red, stood chill, We gave the beasts, cease rest peace. He's now deceased. a good man makes the nature. I hate haters, sacrificed for police. The you all
4: did see that on the looper call, I thrice presented him a kingly crown, which he did thrice refuse, was this ambitious? Yet Brutus says he was ambitious, and sure he is an honorable man. I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but here I am to speak what I do know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you then to mourn for him? Oh, judgment, thou art fled to brutish beasts, and men have lost their reason. Bear with me. My heart is in the coffin there with Caesar, and I must pause till it come back to me. Then fall, Caesar.
5: Then fall, So fall, Caesar. You do, kill no kill tears for season, stop,
4: No tears for the man, stop,
5: Cry havoc,
4: let's slip stop the dogs of war, war, kill war. Kill war,
5: war, war. war.
4: Lost, we are. without
5: you i